what happens when a woman goes to park her car, but she can't? And then we take a that's the, that's the whole story for that one. And then we're going to take a look at a true crime story that has disturbed me for almost 20 years now. When a young man leaves his house to return a pair of jumper cables to a shed in his backyard, everyone expects he'll be right back. But he's never seen again. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having a lot of fun doing whatever you're doing. And I hope you guys are actually doing something towards your 90 days to a better you challenge. Hope that is going really, really well for you. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to invite in our legacy Patreon for today. Longtime supporter of the show. Give it up for Hunter Johnson. Everyone give a round of applause. He's walking in with his bow and his arrow. He's getting ready to shoot uh, the coyotes that also listen to the show. Run, coyotes, run. Hunter Johnson won't kill you. He's actually a pretty cool guy. Hunter, I hope he doesn't kill you. Hunter, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, or if you guys aren't true hunters of God's creatures, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to not want to destroy life. But you can also help support the show by getting the word out. Letting your friends know about Dead Rabbit Radio really, really helps as well. So Hunter Johnson, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Durham in England. Jason Jalopy is driving out, and then you hit that little button, and it flies like chitty chitty bang bang. We're flying out to Durham, England. This is actually a requested story by Christian Davison. So thank you so much for sending this over. He got it from the Fordian map. Again, the Fordian map's in the show notes. It's an interactive map of all these weird events all over the world. Hunter's flying us over in the Jason Jalopy. He lands us in Durham, England. It's 1975. Hunter is giving us a tour of the countryside as he's taking us to Durham, England. And then he's like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done driving. He kicks back his feet up on the dashboard. We're in a parking lot. And it's just a normal parking lot. There's a bunch of empty spaces, and then there's cars. And so you guys know how parking lots work. This isn't your first time on Earth. Or is it? We see a car pull up with a mother and her daughter in it. The mother's name is Dilly's Cant. Mrs. Dilly's Cant. And her daughter have just gone out for a drive, and they're pulling into this parking lot to not drive anymore, because that's what parking lots are for. She sees an empty space, and her car goes to pull in, and then, nope, gets stuck there. What? She can see the space is empty in front of her, but she backs up the car, goes to go into the space again. Nope. I don't know if it actually made a sound effect, but it's a podcast. I have to do something. She keeps trying to pull into the space, but there's something blocking her there. It's not like she's slowly moving through it like there's some sort of invisible molasses. It's not like she's hitting a brick wall and it's injuring the car. The car simply stops when you get to the parking space. Now, the first thing she does is see, does she have more air in her gas tank than gas? The answer to that one, because I know you guys are asking, is no, that wasn't the problem. She keeps trying to pull into this parking space, and she says it's like she's hitting a curb. You know, like your car bumps into a curb where it's kind of like just a gentle bump? But there's no curb there. They get out, they look down, there's no curb. Get back in the car, drive, bounce. It just stops. It won't go any further. The daughter trades places with the mom and goes, you obviously are doing something wrong. You must be hitting the brakes. Maybe this is some sort of practical joke or something like that. The daughter tries it. The car just stops. There are other cars in this parking lot. <laughs> this one, they're honking their horn. Hey, lady, move out of the way. Take the parking spot. 
They're like, we can't. We're trying to get in this parking spot. The car keeps bouncing back. The other motorists are like, you're obviously pulling a joke. So she backs up. Another car goes, the second motorist can't pull in. And then a second motorist also tries pulling into the parking space. Can't. So we have three different cars with four different drivers try to pull into a parking spot, and it was impossible for them to do it. This phenomenon is known as the Durham force field. So that's that story. That that story I just told. That's that story. This is actually an edit. That story I just told you, I then spent another 15 minutes. 15 minutes talking about that story. I went off on this weird tangent about secret codes hidden inside mysterious stories. And while it may be fascinating, while it may have be fascinating if I had time to plan it out, it was literally 12 minutes of utter nonsense. That's why it's very important to edit. If you guys have never done anything creatively before, uh, don't assume everything you do is going to be golden, because if I had released that, had I left that 12 minutes in there, this won't take 12 minutes, this apology for something you didn't even know existed, this won't take 12 minutes, but had I left that 12 minutes in there, you'd have been, you would have gotten bored. I would have gotten bored editing it, and I just gave up halfway through. I go Even when I recorded it, I go, after I recorded the whole episode, because of the next story coming up, it's a, it's a dope one. The next story that's coming up is super dark as well, so I'm kind of kind of buying some time before you get there. But after I recorded the episode, I thought about it, and I was like, dude, that doesn't work. That was just boring. It was boring. It was boring. So anyways, this instead is basically an explanation for why the first story was only five minutes. And I wanted to add two other things real quick. First off, horrible weather is gripping the United States. One of our longtime listeners of the show and our Forrest Finn correspondents, Beatrice, and her family are currently having power problems in one of the states. They currently have no electricity. Luckily, they have a fireplace and a gas oven, so they do have food. But we're thinking about you, Beatrice, and your family. We're thinking about all you guys who are suffering from this horrible weather. The fluffle stays warm together. I think that snow sucks. I've always said snow sucks, and you guys laughed at me, but I hope everyone is staying warm. We're going to get through this together. And secondly, in a little more upbeat news, Beatrice is like, don't forget about me. We're not, but I do have to talk about other stuff as well. Sorry, Beatrice. For a couple more days, I don't know how long this is going to be online, but until February 23rd at least, so I wanted to get this one out real quick. Christie's, the auction house, is doing this amazing sale. That's not sponsored by Christie's. They're doing this amazing sale of meteorites. So I'm going to put it in the show notes. If you guys have nothing else to do and there's no electricity, you're going to waste the last electricity on your cell phone to look at meteorites. Christie's is selling meteorites. I've never seen anything like this. I always thought meteorites were like a rock. At best, a rock with the blob in the middle of it. But no, there's like crystal meteorites and like two meteorites that crash together and then they like liquefy in deep space and then freeze i don't know if that's the actual science but they look dope (laughs) they look dope and i didn't know this pieces of the moon are on earth 
from meteorites hitting the moon and then pieces of the moon falling on Earth. They say that's one of the rarest Earth minerals ever is moon pieces. So check out this auction. Hopefully, I don't know, Christie's, if they'll keep the pictures up. I don't think they will. I don't think they'll be like, look what you missed. But if you guys want to look at some amazing meteorites, I didn't think they looked like this. I thought they were just big old chunks of rock. There's some really cool things out there, so check that out. So that all being said, there's going to be a weird segue here for our next story. And um, that's about it. That's about it. I got to release the episode. It's almost time to be released. Uh, Here we go. Hunter, go ahead and call in the carpenter copter. We're going to leave behind Durham, England. We are headed out to Skidmore, Missouri. I'm going to tell you right now, this topic's really disturbing. Um, This is one of the stories that I remember hearing about back when it happened, back in 2001. And it's stuck with me all these years. I just think it's creepy. It's not super disturbing, but if you get even just slightly disturbed, I think it just it stuck with me for a couple reasons. Um, obviously, if it's stuck with me, it is disturbing, but I don't want to scare too many people off, but it is pretty dark. So um, you can bow out here, or um, you can continue on your day. You can press your luck. You can pick number three and listen to the rest of this episode. Hunter, Hunter's getting his parachute ready. Hunter, you can go ahead and bow out as well. But first, land this carpenter copter. It's April 11th, 2001. We're in Skidmore, Missouri. We're walking through Skidmore, and we come to the house of Branson Perry. He's a 20-year-old young man. He looks like a typical dude from 2001. He looks like a surfer dude. He kind of has the Eminem hairstyle. He has that look. He has like the little turtle claw necklace. And uh, you know the type. You know the type. If you've ever seen a boy band video, that's who Branson Perry looked like at the time. Him and his friend Jenna are cleaning up the house because Branson's dad is in the hospital. He's going to be coming home soon. And two of his father's friends are actually working on his dad's car. Everyone's kind of coming together to help out Mr. Perry. And Branson's just kind of going about the day, cleaning stuff up. At one point, he tells Jenna, he goes, Hey, let me put these jumper cables, let me go put them in the shed in the backyard. And Jenna's like, Okay, yeah, you know, I'll be in here still cleaning up. That's 3 p.m., April 11th, 2001. April 12th, 2001. Branson's grandma stops by the house. The house is unlocked and deserted. Grandma thinks that's a little weird, but goes about her business. She does try calling there a couple times over the next few days. No one answers. But, you know, Branson's a young man. He's out partying. He's out hanging out with his friends. He's not going to sit at home attending the sewing circle. But Branson's mom can't get a hold of him either. And Branson's dad finally gets out of the hospital. And they go back home. And Branson is nowhere to be seen. It's April 17th. It's six days after he walked outside with the jumper cables that he's actually reported as a missing person. The police get involved. They begin asking around what happened to him. They actually asked Jenna, and that's where they hear the story about the jumper cables. The police said that they did go to the shed, and there were jumper cables found in the shed. However, there's some dispute. Some of the police officers said, we heard the story about the jumper cables. We checked just to see if he had ever made it there. There were no jumper cables in the shed. They were found later. They were found after he had gone missing. Some reports say the jumper cables weren't found until two weeks after the search had already begun, and the police said, we searched that area before. Now, we see this a lot in missing people stories. We see this a lot in murder investigations where they search a 1,000-foot radius. They don't find anything. Two weeks later, they find the backpack. That's always seen as suspicious, like the killer dropped the backpack off. 
a lot of times I just account that for sloppy police work. They're not RoboCop. When you have these search radius and they're like, the body was discovered and that area had already been searched, that doesn't, that's people are walking through with sticks poking stuff. They could be thinking about which Pokemon they're going to catch tomorrow or whatever, their wife yelling at them, all sorts of stuff. So the fact that they found the jumper cables two weeks later, that doesn't make me think that the jumper cables weren't there originally. I do think that the jumper cables were there that Branson had walked off and dropped jumper cables off at the shed. But the point of the story is, he disappeared somewhere between the house and the shed. Now you go, why was the house empty? What happened to everyone who was there? Well, Jenna and the people who were, the people who were working on the car finished working on the car and left. And Jenna apparently waited in the house for a while, but when Branson didn't show up, she just left as well, and she didn't have the keys to lock the place. She figured Branson was going to be back any minute. Because Branson was having some issues. Jenna said that he had actually begun to experiment with marijuana and methamphetamines. So when he walked out to drop off the jumper cables and he didn't come back for a while, she's thinking he's probably smoking something. He'll be back. He'll be fine. So she just finishes doing what she's doing and she leaves. There was another issue, something far more serious than methamphetamine use. Four days earlier on April 7th, Branson was over at the neighbor's house. And he was drugged. It doesn't say whether or not he was drugged against his will. He may have been using drugs, but it doesn't excuse what's about to happen. But he was drugged. He then stripped off all of his clothes, began to dance around naked, and ended up having sex with his male neighbor. And Branson was deeply ashamed by this. And he told his father. Now, his father, when he's talking to Branson, said, listen... I think you might be gay. Like, I think you might have feelings towards men. That's just something I'm picking up as a father. However, what happened to you at that house was a crime. You don't conflate the two. Don't, do, which is amazing that a father is having this discussion with the son. This is where the father was actually kind of, kind of explaining how he, he cause like, I knew you were gay. I knew you were gay. And I support you in that, but th- this was a this was rape. Don't let your don't let this ruin like your your feelings towards your sexuality. It was it, which would be a very first off. Your first thing is you want to go over and just be be the neighbor to death and taking advantage of your son in that state. But basically, the dad's like saying it's okay to be gay, but don't think that this was okay. Don't think that this was okay. And so he talked his son through it, which is very supportive. You've got to be supportive of your children. And he believed in the beginning. This is why the father wasn't super worried about it. This is why when people were trying to call home and figure out where it was, the father goes, I figured he was just going to go and blow off some steam. He didn't know about the, that he was actually using methamphetamines. He didn't know about that. But he goes, I thought my son was going to go off and blow some steam and kind of clear his head and figure out what he wanted in life get away from the small town, and maybe even figure out what he wanted to do to this guy criminally. So when he first went missing, the father just figured he'll be back. He just needs to clear his head. But even the father knew he shouldn't be gone this long. That was in 2001. April 10th, 2003. Hunter, are you still with us? You still with us? Hunter's giving us a nod. Hop back in that carpenter copter. We're leaving behind Skidmore. We're headed out to Fulton, Missouri. <laughs> And as we're flying overhead, we see FBI vans start driving through the neighborhood 
of Jack Wayne Roberts. All these vans pull up, doors open, FBI agents pour out, and they rush into the house of this 59-year-old Presbyterian minister, Boy Scout leader, and doctor. An upstanding citizen, why are the FBI at the house of this man? He's arrested during a sting of child sexual abuse images. So sharing, distribution, all of that disgustingness. Presbyterian minister, Boy Scout leader, and doctor has been hoarding images of child sexual abuse. And that is horrific enough. That's all you really need to be a disturbing story. A man in that level of power with that disgusting desire. But he's not really a doctor. <laughs> You're like, Jason, that's not what? It's nothing. You're like, oh no, he faked his medical degree. He's doing all this other gross stuff. He's not really a doctor. We've actually covered quite a few people on this show like this. He's an amateur castration enthusiast. He tells people he's a doctor. Tells people online he's a doctor and tells people that he can perform gender reassignment surgeries. But if you expect to go to a clinic to go see Dr. Wayne Roberts, nope, it's at a hotel room. Could you imagine having getting a hotel room next to this guy? Come on, guys, we're going to have a party here, get a couple brews, get a couple babes, and in the next hotel room over, ah, you hear someone screaming. Ugh, in a hotel. And the maid, and the maid who has to clean it up. Dr. Roberts would perform gender reassignment surgeries in random hotel rooms. One of his victims, really, was Madison Abercrombie. She went to him to have her male genitalia removed and to become a woman, and he botched it, obviously. <laughs> Howard Johnson's, right? They might have a great continental breakfast, but it's not the best setup for gender reassignment surgery. He botched it so badly that she actually was bleeding for six days. She had to go to a hospital and have multiple surgeries just to correct the mistakes that he made. But even then, when the FBI was investigating all this stuff and when they found out he was a fake doctor, because they were there for the child sexual abuse images, that's what he was arrested for, but they begin this full investigation. They find Madison Abercrombie and they ask her, you, do you want to press charges against this guy? And she says, listen, it was not the most comfortable operation I've ever had. It was actually the least comfortable operation I've ever had, but no, I don't really see myself as a victim. And the FBI, because they want to just get this guy locked up for life, the FBI goes, well, we got to tell you some information about this guy. We got to let you know what's really going on. This might, I don't even know the FBI could do this really, but apparently the FBI started revealing information to Madison and saying he most likely ate your testicles. What? Yes. Yes. That's Madison's throwing up. FBI agents like, we expected that. We brought this barf bag. He, there's photos of him because he's done these gender reassignment surgeries on other people of him after he removes the genitals, he would chop them up and like dice them up and eat them. And there were photos of him eating Madison's penis and testicles. And the FBI goes, this is what, this is what he did after he removed them from you. So Madison goes, oh yeah, definitely. I want to press charges. Like that's not super disgusting. As far as Madison was looking at it, it was a botched surgery, but it turns out he was a cannibal. While they're doing this search, poor FBI agents, right? Poor, poor FBI agents. While they're having to look through all of this stuff, they come across chat logs. 
It's just another way for these sickos to indulge in their fantasies. They come across these chat logs under names like Bugger Butt or Oh Hail Satan. So edgy. He has these chat logs and he talks about young men. How he's kidnapped, raped, mutilated, tortured, and killed these young men. And the other people on the forums are like, oh yeah, I totally want to do that too. Yeah, you're so dope. You're totally awesome. Let me tell you about my story. And it's just grossness, grossness all around. In these chat logs, though, the FBI is going through all these chat logs. And they're just, again, just like really cringy, sexual, disgusting stuff to get him off and to get other people off. But while they're reading these chat logs, one of the agents goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Scroll back up. What, what, what did he write there? What did he say? The agents scroll up. And there's a story. That was written by John Wayne Roberts. And he goes, guys, listen to this. One day I was driving through Skidmore, Missouri. And I saw a blonde kid. He's young. He's in his 20s. I picked him up. Put him in my car. You know what I did next. You know what Jason doesn't want to repeat. You know what Jason doesn't want to say again on the show. I did that stuff. I did that super gross stuff. I took this young kid out did what I do, and I murdered him, and I buried him in the middle of nowhere. No one will ever know what happened to that boy from Skidmore, Missouri. He's being charged with child sexual abuse images. He's being charged with working illegally as a doctor. Now they have a murder charge on him. But the images they found on his hard drive, and they had photos of him eating the genitals of Madison. I think that's abuse of a, a body. That's a, a misdemeanor. But you have the acting as a doctor without a license, that's illegal. Obviously, the child sexual abuse stuff is highly, highly illegal, rightfully so. And then you have this story. Now they're looking at a murder charge, but they don't have evidence other than a written confession that's posted online. So they go to him and they go, what can you tell us about Branson? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. They go back in 2001, we had a young blonde boy go missing from Skidmore, Missouri. Funny enough, a man who talks about eating genitals and talks about raping and murdering and torturing and mutilating young men, we have a missing young man that you, in a way, identified his where you picked him up, his physical description. So tell us what happened to Branson. Jack says, I don't know what you're talking about. I fantasize. I've never killed anybody. I might chop, might chop off their penis and eat it. What do you think I am, some sort of monster? I've never killed anybody. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe I read something in the news about a kid go missing and I saw his photograph and thought he was cute. Maybe, maybe. But this story, it's fake. It's not true. It's what's known as a LARP. It's a live-action role-play, officer. I did not kill Branson. They bring in cadaver dogs just to be safe, check out his property... They pick up the scent of something, but it's nothing definitive. In his narrative, he said that he buried the body in the Ozarks. So unless they can just bring cadaver dogs all through the Ozarks and find every corpse from the hillbilly wars that have lasted three generations, they're not going to find him. His house, though, was heavily searched. His property was heavily searched. They're looking for something that could connect him to the disappearance of Branson. They find nothing at all until they find a turtle claw necklace. 
The same kind of necklace that Branson wore all the time, including the day he disappeared. A written confession and a turtle claw necklace. Still not enough to convict him. It's not a one-of-a-kind necklace that was made by some artisan. It's something you could buy at Hot Topic. He maintained that the confession was not a confession. It was a story he was telling to a bunch of perverts to try to get some sort of pleasure out of it for him and the other perverts. Branson's mom begged him, begged him for the location of Branson's body. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I never killed him. I was just making it up. Written confession, physical evidence. He denied it, denied it, denied it. The police could not charge him with this. He got 17 years for assault against Madison by performing the surgery without being a licensed doctor. He got 17 years for assault, seven years for performing an illegal surgery, 30 years of having child sex abuse images, but it is concurrent sentencing. So basically all of those sentences are served out at the same time. He went to prison around 2003, 2004. He's halfway done with his sentence. He'll be around 80 when he gets out, 80, 90 years old. There's a chance he will be out in our lifetime. Never admitted to the murder, never convicted of the murder. Eventually, the mother of Branson came forward and said, I don't know if he did it, but I'm glad someone that evil is off the streets, regardless. Branson is still missing. He's never been found. I think it's most likely that this sicko did did it. I don't think it was a LARP. I think that he probably did murder him, and he may have murdered others. It was just that story had enough information in it that the police could connect it to a missing persons case. A minister, a Boy Scout leader, has access to all sorts of victims. Boy Scouts are just looking for a little bit of fun in the wilderness and to become a man. As a minister, you have access to people who are so weak and desperate that it's just the perfect honey trap that a pervert could live in and just collect victims one by one. But this story has completely disturbed me, and it's not so much because of the fact that I have to think about people like Jack Wayne Roberts existing. It's the fact that you can disappear so quickly. You always hear stories about like little kids walking out, and they're like walking home from school, and then they just disappear halfway through, and the kid was only a block away and was never seen again. He was a block away from home and he's never seen again. That's absolutely tragic. But to disappear in your own backyard is especially disturbing. To never be seen again. That On that level, it's disturbing. Uh, there's also a level of it that is disturbing where you have a young man who is accepting his sexuality and you have predators out there that specialize on young men exploring their sexuality or accepting their sexuality. I think that's absolutely tragic as well. We see it a lot. We see women being targeted by serial killers, and we see gay men being targeted by serial killers, and both are equally tragic. Both are equally tragic. I just, I I think it's weird. Not only are there people like that exist like Jack Wayne Roberts, but they're literally like vultures that watch society and they're picking off the, I don't want to use the term weakest, but the most naive. Because we know not to get in people's cars. We know not to get in random people's cars. 
So why did why did Branson or did he? Did he willingly get in the car? Was he snatched out of his backyard? Was he being stalked for a while? Did he drop the jumper cables off and hang out in the shed and maybe smoke a little meth? And then when he came back in, everyone had left and then he was kidnapped? We don't know. There's so many unknowns to this. But he disappeared where he should feel the safest. His own home. The last sighting of him was walking out of his back door to go to a shed. And he's never been seen since. I don't know if he got into a car. I don't know if he hooked up with someone for drugs. I don't know if he was a young man questioning who he was on a sexual level and got picked up by a chicken hawk. Or if he dropped off the jumper cables and as he was coming out of the shed, someone grabbed him. Someone was in the shed waiting for him and grabbed him. He walked back into his house. It was empty. Someone was hiding in the closet and grabbed him. Did he go willingly at first? Was he kidnapped? This, this, this story just disturbs me on a bunch of different levels. We had just the initial encounter and then knowing what may have happened to him afterwards. I research way more true crime than I cover. But this story for the past 19 years has stuck out to me. It's so bleak and dark and depressing. And it ends with no answers. It ends with a man in prison right now who most likely did rape, torture, mutilate, and murder a young boy who was just walking from his house to his shed and disappeared. It's a terrifying story and a terrifying reminder that true evil exists. Not metaphorical evil, but true evil. Not only does it exist, it hides and it waits and it reaches from the darkness the moment you least expect it. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mm-hmm.